Hello, this is Angela Schaefers, the host of Your Story Matters radio show. Today I have a very special guest, Bill Renji, and he is the author of A Chosen Bullet, A Broken Man's Triumph Through Faith and Sports. He has been willing to share his story about having faced a challenging injury and the difficulties in that and facing the life ahead for him that he was not expecting, and he is here today to share with us about his book and about his life story. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the show. Hi, Angela. It's good to be here. Thank you. So before we talk about the book, which is really inspiring and encouraging to many people, I would love for you to share with the audience some of your background and history and how everything sort of evolved to the point of your injury. Uh, sure. Well, my story really starts on the night of June 17, 1989. Um, I had been with uh, a friend of mine at a party, and the party was breaking up around 1 in the morning. We weren't ready to go home, uh, and my buddy offered to uh, buy some drugs if I was willing to go to a uh, you know drug house that uh, that uh, we had been to before. It was uh, was pretty well known, about 20 minutes away from our hometown. Uh, I was never certainly one at that time to uh, pass up a um, an offer uh, for any type of a free high. Uh, so my buddy and I, I said, sure, well, you know, we'll go out there. I'll drive if you're buying. So uh, we drove out there to um, to the drug house and thought that we were going to pull in. And you know, usually the way it works is uh, there's some guys standing on the corner. You get your drugs and and you take off and uh, and that's that. Well, uh, this time. We pulled in, and uh, we happened to notice there was an undercover drug raid ongoing, and a lot of a lot of chaotic activity. If uh, if you can imagine, Angela, at the time there was what looked to be uh, plainclothes undercover police officers running around, gathering drug dealing suspects. We saw uh, mm-hmm. drug dealers laying uh, face down with uh, with their hands behind their head, and uh, we uh, decided that jail didn't sound like a very good option. So uh, mm-hmm. it was, uh, my buddy said, "Let's get out of here." And uh, and I agreed. So uh, we started to pull out. And when we did that, a uh, plain plainclothes undercover police officer came up to my driver's side window, started banging on my window and telling me in no uncertain terms to uh, to get out of my car. He had the gun drawn. I could see the gun out of the corner of uh, of my eye, mm-hmm. and uh, I panicked, started to to take off. And as I did that, I don't know if the car kind of nudged the uh, the cop or what happened. But uh, all of a sudden, I heard what sounded like an M80 going off outside the driver's side window. I saw the flash. I saw the window shatter. And then instantly, I knew that that I was in trouble because my entire body went numb, Mm -hmm. and I was having a hard time breathing. And what, what had happened was the bullet had ripped through my neck severed my spinal cord at the 6th and 7th cervical vertebrae mm. and ultimately deflated my right lung. So uh, I was laying there in, in pretty bad shape, and I mm-hmm. remember at the time, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I remember crying out to God and saying, please, God, don't let me go out like this. I don't want this to be the last memory that I leave behind for my parents or my brothers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Obviously, he spared me. He gave me a second opportunity, and I had uh, a lot of time on my hands over the course of the next several days, months, and um, ultimately years to think about what had uh, had led me to that moment. Mm-hmm. And tell us about that. What was your childhood like as far as you know? You ending up doing drugs and being in that situation where it was sound 
pretty common to just go get pick up some drugs and be in situations that weren't good for you. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in uh, what you would consider to be a very normal upbringing. I, I don't have the excuses that a lot of people use uh, of coming from a broken home and, you know, an impoverished background. I was, you know, very middle class, uh, a mom and dad who were in the home. You know, my mom worked part-time, but she was primarily a homemaker. My dad, you know, had the same full-time job for, you know, almost 40 years. And, uh, you know, my upbringing was very much one of baseball and Boy Scouts and, Mm -hmm. you know, family vacations. I had two younger brothers. But unfortunately for me, when I got into junior high, I started making a lot of bad decisions. And most of that had to do with the types of friends that I was surrounding myself with. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was... I was a leader, excuse me, I wasn't a leader, I was a follower mm-hmm. when I was younger and very prone to wonder, you know, I had, uh, I was raised going to church, but I, you know, it, it, I had the head knowledge of the Lord, a head knowledge of God and, you know, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and a lot of the Bible stories, but there was not a relationship there. So I was very prone when I got into junior high and on into high school you know, to, 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 to wonder. I started listening again to a lot of bad influences at the time. I stopped listening more rebelling against what my parents had, had led me to live, the kind of lifestyle they had led me to live. And uh, my drug use started out very innocently, very gradually as mm-hmm. sin is. Started out with recreational pot use when I was a, um, uh, in eighth grade on into my freshman year in high school and had escalated and graduated to, to the point to where by the time I was a senior, I was, you know, full-fledged into cocaine, crack cocaine, LSD, uh, selling drugs on a very uh, low level, but uh, nonetheless dealing drugs to support my own habit and um, scalping concert tickets. So my lifestyle had really spun out of control, but, you know, when you get absorbed into a lifestyle sin, sometimes you don't even realize how uh, how chaotic and, and how lost you are. And um, mm-hmm. really my story and all of which culminated with the events of uh, June 17th, 1989. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that was quite a shock. What were some initial feelings that you had? Were you angry? Were you scared? I mean, tell the audience about those initial feelings during those first few days and few weeks. Yeah, really all the above. I mean, I was angry. I was scared. I was unsure. I was numb emotionally and mentally. You know, just when you're at that stage of your life, you know, when when you're broken in every way possible, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally as well. And you're, you're laying there in a hospital bed, really unable to do anything for yourself. Uh, you, you know, you don't think down the road. You're not thinking months ahead or certainly mm-hmm. not years ahead. You're not even thinking weeks or days ahead. I mean, it's more of an hour-to-hour struggle at mm-hmm. that point. So I had, But I had to go through all of the, um, you know, not only the physical recovery of, of going through three or four months of very intense physical rehab and then about a, uh, about a year's worth of outpatient rehab once I was released where I had to learn to do everything all over again from uh, dressing myself to bathing myself to getting in and out of a wheelchair. I mean, you know, in the early stages, I was, I was unable to even feed myself. I was so, uh, I was so weak. So there was a, a lot, uh, no doubt to, um, to overcome and, and, and to deal with there. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel in the beginning or any time, I guess, since then suicidal that you felt like, you know, I wish this had just ended my life because it was so much to deal with and to face. And there were so many drastic changes to how you lived. I never felt 
suicidal. I mean, you know, we used to kind of joke when we were in rehab, you know, with some of the other patients. Uh, we were um, located not more than a half mile away from, from Lakeshore Drive. And, you know, many of us oftentimes talked about, you know, how, how we thought, you know, we'd just push down to Lakeshore Drive and, and push out into traffic, you know, mm-hmm. and, and kind of end it all. I, I don't know that it was ever anything that I considered serious, but, um, you know, I, I, I was definitely, you know, having to deal with a lot, having to deal with the recovery aspect of it and, and the whole anger issue and asking the inevitable questions of why did this happen to me and, you know, but, but I wouldn't say that... Um, that I was seriously, you know, suicidal or anything like that. Who were you angry with? Well, you know, in the beginning, I mean, I was angry with the whole situation and, you know, the police officer and why he shot me because to this day, you know, the events kind of surrounding that are a little bit sketchy. But uh, ultimately, I had to get to the point, and, and I did get to the point, you know, through talking to the therapist, you know, at the rehab, the um you know, the psychologist, I should say, where I had to accept responsibility, you know, for putting myself in that situation. You know, mm-hmm. there's an old saying that nothing nothing good happens after midnight. Well, this happened, you know, around 2 o'clock in the morning. So, um, you know, I put myself in that situation, and ultimately I had to come come to grips with that and uh, and accept my disability, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've kind of always had a, a bounce-back spirit about me. And, uh, you know, once I realized in rehab that I'd be able to regain enough uh, mobility and function to live independently, you know, to drive a car, to take care of myself, you know, I, I realized, okay, things things are going to be all right because, you know, they, they could have been worse. And I've always been one that's been able to look on that bright side. And, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, this guy's, you know, he's paralyzed from the chest down. But uh, the reality is I was shot from uh, five feet away with a nine millimeter, you know, had that bullet gone in just two or three inches higher, I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Mm -hmm. That's right. Were you ever angry at God? No, I I never, you know, I I, I was kind of, you know, just just apathetic, I guess, maybe for lack of a better way to put it, when it came to God, you know, back then. I mean, I had a lot of people, you know, sending me cards, you know, that were quote unquote, you know, religious based cards or, you know, people coming to talk to me and, you know, the the um the pastor from the church that I grew up in. But it was just my heart was hardened to it. So it wasn't I wasn't angry at God, but but I wasn't really thinking much of anything about God at the time. I mean, you know, in the back of my mind I knew that that kinda happened for a reason and I had had that sense that it happened for a reason. And um, you know, it was years later that I would I would fully realize just how in control God was through that out that entire time, even though I didn't realize it then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's our story going back to it that teaches us the most about how loving and caring God really is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, God allows, you know, bad things to happen to us, painful mm-hmm. things, tragic mm-hmm. things, you know, sometimes because of our own actions, like in my case, but but not always. You know, sometimes he just has a greater purpose, a higher purpose, and uh, we certainly don't see that at the time when we're going through the pain. But uh, but if we persevere through it, and uh, once we get on the backside of it, we can look back and say, oh, okay, well, that's why he allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, your bio speaks to you having been addicted to drugs and being heavily in- involved in s- different sorts of drugs. During the recovery period, how did you deal with the addiction? You know, it's kind of funny. I mean, I definitely went through through some withdrawals uh, initially, but that bullet was pretty much 
you know, my, my bottom and I knew it then. And I just, you know, I, I've always had a strong will about me. You know, I would eventually, you know, quit cigarettes, cold Turkey. I would eventually quit, you know, drinking cold Turkey. And it was pretty much right then and there when I uh, resolved in my mind that I was going to quit drugs, cold Turkey. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I've heard that that's happened before for people. And I can imagine dealing with all the other things that that probably wasn't the top thing on your mind. Yeah. You know, I I, I had people after that, when I told them, oh, I quit all that, you know, that that said to me, oh, well, if this happened to me, I would probably be even worse. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's one one of two ways you could look at it. You know, you can go full bore back into that lifestyle just to kind of self-medicate or you can pull yourself above that and go in the other direction and and for me you know I did have a very strong support network through my family and and I just felt like I owed it to them you know if nothing else you know with everything I had put them through you know my parents had raised me to um to be a better person than than what I was at the time and mm-hmm. and so if nothing else I was going to try to redeem myself for uh, for them Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So how was it that you decided that there was more to life than the life you were living and to really change your path as far as trying to achieve more? I know you've achieved your college degree. You've gone on to be a successful athlete. What happened during those years to give you that will and desire to live up to that potential. Yeah, I just I just remember sitting around my parents' house uh, a month or two after I got out of rehab, the physical rehabilitation, which was about six months after my injury, and just being like, okay, well, you know, I need to figure out what I want to do with my life. I don't want to sit here, you know, with with my mom, you know, all day long as she's taking care of me while I'm watching, you know, some bad daytime TV or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I enrolled in a couple classes at the junior college and uh, and really realized for the first time how much uh, with an unpolluted mind that uh, that I like challenging myself academically mm-hmm. and uh, and so setting goals you know of getting a good grade in, in a particular class and uh, and that led to me you know getting raising my GPA at, at uh, the junior college level and started gaining confidence athletically so you know academically I was gaining confidence setting goals for myself, achieving those goals, setting other goals. And then athletically, when I started playing wheelchair rugby, you know, I I wasn't very good at first. I mean, I was a bench player my first year with Chicago, which was, you know, 1991, you know, but I started improving in that sport and got to the point where not only was I starting, but I was winning all tournament awards at different uh, different tournaments that we were traveling to around the country and uh, becoming you know recognized as a um, you know as an upper more of an elite level athlete in my sport. And through all that, you know, God really started to work on me during that period. You know, He started working on me through rugby. One of the guys. That, uh, that I played with, that I used to drive to practice with, you know, him and his friend used to just share the Lord with me, you know, and, and they weren't overly preachy or anything like that. I mean, they just, they just basically, you know, sh- shared what Jesus was doing in their life. And there was just something I noticed about them. There was a piece that they had that a lot of the other guys, you know, didn't have. And, uh, and it was something that I was drawn to. So and it was the first time in my life where, you know, somebody really sat down and explained to me what a personal relationship with the Lord is like, you know, and, and from there, you know, academically, when I was at the University of Illinois, I had, uh, I was sitting out on the main quad one day in a beautiful spring day, and this guy who was obviously involved in some sort of campus crusade ministry, you know, came up 
and and you know was very polite, asked if he could share with me, and you know, I told him he could, even though I wasn't really interested in what he had to say. But um, you know, he pulled out the the Bible and opened up John three three, and and I'll never forget. You know, it says Jesus declared, "I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again." Wow! And and, and that was a major seed, you know, and yes. I had never seen that before. So it's like. God was, you know, working, even though I wasn't ready, and even though I didn't make that decision, you know, until a couple years later, mm-hmm. you know, God was working throughout that entire time. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you that. Do you feel like throughout your whole life, really, that God was planting seeds for all these things that were to come to fruition in your life? Yeah, there's no doubt when you when, when I look back now, and, and I can see more of the bigger picture of, of how the last... 39 years have transpired transpired he he clearly you know has been there the entire time and and working the entire time and you know it's it's and that's just how god is you know we oftentimes go to the left or go to the right you know we look you know every in every direction but up you know we just don't Mm -hmm. look to him Mm -hmm. but but ultimately you know he has a better plan for us and uh and he's you know he never takes his eye off us he's just waiting for us to look up and uh call upon him and you know, right. that, that was something that eventually I did, you know, by, uh, by 1995, you know, I was, uh, I was doing well academically, doing well athletically. I was making a lot of very productive, uh, relationships in my life, had some successful dating relationships, but, uh, there was something that was still missing. There was some piece that, that I couldn't find, you know, I was on the honors list at University of Illinois. I was, uh, I was winning all tournament awards in my sport you know, traveling around the country and, but yeah, everything was temporal, you know, nothing, nothing was permanent. And then, uh, my best friend that I had grown up with and, you know, actually known, uh, going back to the fifth grade, you know, and he had gotten into a lot of trouble in high school. And ultimately after high school, you know, he did some jail time for, uh, and he got saved when he was in, um, when he was in prison, you know, mm-hmm. and I still didn't fully comprehend what that meant, but, uh, but he got out and I just noticed that there was, you know, something, something different about him. Again, you know, where, where chaos once ruled, there was this peace. And, right. You know, mm-hmm. One night we were talking and he said, I don't know why God loved me as much as he did, but, but I'm glad he did. Mm-hmm. And, and he just started crying, you know, and it was at that moment that I knew that I wanted that peace too. And a couple of days later, you know, I went to his church and I don't even remember the sermon. I don't remember any of the music. I just remember at the end that um, the invitation was given, and uh, and that was when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that was November 26, 1995. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. That's an awesome testimony and, and a story that everyone needs to hear if they're feeling in despair or that there's no hope in their situation or whatever they're facing in life because, as you know, there's so many things that many people face that just seems overwhelming and that there's no way out. Right, exactly. I want to ask you, before we talk a bit about the book, were there any issues surrounding this whole event regarding forgiveness, whether it's forgiveness of yourself for where you put yourself in that position or the person that shot you or anyone else that you feel you know might have contributed to this? Yeah, I mean, I can't really pinpoint when that all took place. You know, I would imagine, you know, it was a gradual process over the first couple years after my injury. You know, what I could tell you was when I was doing some research for the book, 
you know, I looked back on some newspaper articles, you know, that were about six months after the event, and you could just tell from some of my quotes that, yeah, I was I was pretty bitter at mm-hmm. the time. You know, I was a typical, you know, jaded, you know, 18, 19-year-old kid at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember looking back saying, wow, I was, I'm, I'm a far different person today. So, you know, clearly, you know, that, that took place. You know, I, I can't pinpoint it and tell you exactly, you know, oh, this is the, the enlightening moment when it happened. But mm-hmm. um, I think as I, grow, as I grew, and clearly once I became a Christian, you know, once I started growing as a Christian and, you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, my rugby career would lead me to uh, the gold medal stand in, in Atlanta mm-hmm. in, uh, in 96 and again at World Championships in Toronto in 98 and then uh, the pinnacle uh, for me which was uh, the Sydney Paralympics in, uh, in Australia in 2000 and you know when I was on those medal stands and I could look back and you know recall what it was like to be laying in a bed you know unable to move unable to do anything for myself you know that was when I you know I by that time I, I was a Christian you know and I was able to look back and see okay you know, this is this is God at work. This is you know James one four. You know, perseverance must must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, mm-hmm. not lacking in anything. You know, mm-hmm. and that was when I could see. Okay, this is why you know God. You know, what Satan meant for bad, you know, God meant for good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's wonderful insight to have and such a pleasure to hear someone be able to find that sort of peace and grace. And I know you went on uh, to get married. You have a beautiful wife named Amy, and you've also adopted three children. Uh, we've Actually, our oldest is adopted. Uh, we have biological uh, twins who are in their, uh, their, their two and a half now. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's great. So you've come full circle to really create the life of a family man and to be someone who can speak to others about overcoming issues that you've been through and face things that could be discouraging or hopeless. And I know that's part of why you wrote the book. So what kind of evolved when you really sat down and wrote the book and, and what was the real purpose in all that? Yeah, I've had some people telling me for a while, going back probably 10 years or so now, that, hey, you know, you've had a lot of interesting things happen to you. You should write a book someday. And, you know, I just kind of kept putting it off, didn't really, you know, have time for or wasn't thinking too much about it. I had been, uh, my, my career was and still is, although I'm, I'm phasing out of it and, uh, and I'm getting more into uh, speaking was commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. So that that kept me quite busy, you know, from 2001, 2002 on. And then, of course, Amy and I got married in 2001. You know, we adopted Nico in 06, and uh, and our twins were born in 08. So there's, I've been pretty, pretty busy and didn't really have time to sit down and start thinking about a book. But about a year and a half ago, I just felt called and led that, uh, that, you know, that was the time to finally go ahead and, um, you know, write about, you know, my life. Mm-hmm. And, and for really, for no other reason, I mean, if, if nothing else came out of it, you know, I, there would be, a, there's a memoir now that for my kids, you know, to know me by, if something happened to me tomorrow, if I got hit by a bus, then, you know, my, my life is there. And, uh, you know, my, my kids now can, uh, can know their father. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to leave behind our message and our legacy for our family and our children and, and certainly those closest to us. But I know in the book, you've shared many 
things that are very inspiring and honest and hopeful and encouraging. And I think that's critical to others who will want to pick up a copy of the book. In fact, you generously donated a book to Your Story Matters radio show, and anyone who comments about today's interview, whether at Your Story Matters radio show on Facebook or at our website, www.yourstorymatters.net, will be entered to win a copy of the book. So thank you very much for that. No problem. Thank you, Angela. Is there anything else that you would like to share about the book that would help people to understand kind of overall what it's about besides your story and what would help them to get something out of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, there's there's two aspects to that question. The, the, the first one is, you know, my book is a cautionary tale. It, it's a lesson of the just really disastrous consequences of, of bad decision making and the road that it could take you down and, and, and just again how gradual sin is. At the same time, it's a story of hope, it's a story of redemption, you know, it's a story of Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for the good for those that love him who have been called according to his purpose. You know, that mm-hmm. verse doesn't say some things, that verse says all things. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that's kinda really the leave behind with my book, and if anybody is interested in uh, learning more about me, there's uh, all kinds of information, including a promo video on my website, which is www.achosenbullet.com, uh, where the book can also be ordered for uh, 25% off of the uh, $12.99 retail price. That's wonderful. And I know you're also, for anyone interested, donating some of the proceeds to an organization, the U.S. Rugby Association? Yeah, I've got different uh, nonprofit organizations that, uh, that I've partnered with and linked up with that, you know, for those that buy my book through uh, any of these organizations, that uh, a portion of the proceeds does get donated back to that particular nonprofit. That's wonderful. I love all that you're doing, Bill. I'm so excited that I was able to talk with you today, and I'm very much looking forward to reading your book, and I really wish you the best in all your endeavors. I hope that through your story shared here today that someone is encouraged and inspired that life can be much more than our circumstance. So thank you so much for joining us, and I wish you the best. Angela, thank you. You have a great day.